So today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 7 verses 18 to 35. Jesus and John the Baptist. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare, you, prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those who born of women, there is no one greater than John, Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptised by John. But the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptised by John. To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine and you say, He has a demon, the son of man came eating and drinking. And you say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners but wisdom is proved right by all her children. I want to start this morning uh, with a a timely reminder for us from the book of Philippians, uh, chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That is a word that needs to go far and needs to go wide and needs to be more contagious than anything else in this world right now. Uh, But I want to ask you a question as we start the message today. Uh, Do you ever lack confidence? Do you ever second guess yourself? Do you ever have doubts or insecurities? Do you ever lack compassion? Do you ever seem to miss the cues that are given by those around us and are maybe misunderstood as callous or uncaring? Do you ever feel disconnected from the people around you? 
Do you ever feel like something is lacking? Like you are missing something? Like you are not complete? See, these are all very common feelings that I'm sure we all have at times. We lack confidence, we lack compassion and we lack the feeling of completeness at times. These are common to our human condition. But what about in our faith? Do we ever have the same feelings of lacking confidence, compassion or completeness? If you're like me, then there are certainly many times where you doubt these things, where you question the confidence you once had, where maybe you question, is God really compassionate? And and you might even question if, God is enough to bring you that feeling of completeness at times. Well, if you've ever had concerns about your confidence in Christ or experiencing the compassion of Christ or even if there is a completeness available in Christ, then I want you to open your Bibles with me today to Luke chapter 7 and we're going to discover the confidence, the compassion and completeness of hope founded in Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray for us now that uh, indeed as you open your word you would be speaking to us. I pray that uh, the words of uh, you today would sink deeply into each one of our hearts and each one of our lives. And that Lord, as we explore this question of can we truly have confidence and in the hope we have in Jesus Christ, Lord, may you answer that completely for us. And uh, Lord, may your word speak to us each individually and as a congregation today, we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 7 starts with the centurion. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders to the Jews, elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. A Roman centurion is a Roman officer in charge of a hundred soldiers. It's a really inventive naming of these these positions, isn't it? Centurion, yep, a hundred people report to you. And he was basically the head of the local Roman occupation force. And he demonstrated a few things. First, he demonstrates an understanding of the local Jewish hierarchy. And he sends local Jewish elders from the town to Jesus. Second, he he was actually quite favourable towards the Jewish people. You see, these elders had a good relationship with the centurion as they not only went on his behalf, which anyone could do under order, right? but when they reached Jesus, they pleaded on behalf of the centurion, saying that he was a good bloke. He loved the nation of Israel and he even built their synagogue, their place of worship. And thirdly, this centurion actually cared deeply 
for those around him and particularly those who even served him. See, it wasn't a son or a daughter of this soldier who was sick. The Bible tells us it was a servant, a servant that he valued highly. And so from all accounts, this centurion appears to be a top bloke worthy of being helped as the elders testified. And it seems that this testimony of the elders, of the Jewish elders in Capernaum, was enough to persuade or convince Jesus that he should go with them. That's a centurion. So he was not far from the house when uh, the centurion sent friends to him to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant do this and he does it. Except when he's sick obviously. Um, when Jesus heard this he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him he said I tell you. I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the many who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. And so the centurion says, I am not worthy, revealing his humility. See, this was a man who was humble before Jesus. He had heard of the reputation of Jesus and was humble before him. The centurion says, say the word, revealing his great faith. This was a man who not only understood authority, but also demonstrated great faith in Jesus. In effect, he's saying, I too can do things because of the authority given to me, so how much more can you? He had the confidence that Jesus could heal his servant by just saying a word. And Jesus responds with amazement. You see, he had not come across this response or reaction from the Jews, his own people, a people who had been taught about the coming Messiah, who were eagerly looking out for him. This was something new for Jesus. And it foreshadows the entry of Gentiles into the kingdom of God. For not even in Israel had Jesus found such faith. Jesus commends the centurion, a Gentile, for his humble faith. And it's actually only one of a few places where Jesus commends the way in which someone approaches him. And then we see the proof of his healing miracle. The servant was found well again. And what we see demonstrated by the centurion and the Jewish elders too, let me add, is the confidence of hope that is found in Jesus Christ. There was never a question about whether Jesus could do this or not. There was a confidence in Jesus Christ on display by the centurion, by the friends and even by the Jewish elders. A confidence of hope, a confidence in the person and works of Jesus Christ and confidence displayed by great faith. 
Hebrews 11, chapter, one, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Biblical faith is not a vague hope grounded in imaginary wishful thinking. Instead, faith is a settled confidence that something in the future, something that is not yet seen but has been promised by God, will actually come to pass because God will bring it about. And so biblical faith is not a blind trust in the face of contrary evidence, not an unknowable leap in the dark. Rather, biblical faith is a confident trust in the eternal God who is all-powerful, infinitely wise, eternally trustworthy. The God who has revealed himself in his word in the person of Jesus Christ, whose promises have proven true from generation to generation and who will never leave nor forsake his own. Such faith in the unseen realities of God is emphasised throughout chapter 11 of Hebrews and has provided confident assurance to all who receive Christ as their Lord and Saviour. And following our series in Luke, I got so keen about Hebrews 11, we're actually going to do a series in Hebrews 11 after Easter. Look out for that, it's going to be fun. I love Hebrews 11. But this centurion's display of confidence is a great example of Hebrews 11.1, a display of the assurance from a man who had never even met Jesus but had only heard about him, a display of confidence in his ability to heal and to restore and to bring hope where once it was lost. And we too can have this very same confidence of hope in Jesus Christ when we understand the authority of Christ. We can have confidence in his promises. But do you ever have doubts? What about when you pray to Jesus and your prayers seem to be unanswered? What about when you step out and do what you believe he wants you to be doing but you get burnt or hurt? What about when you see evil prosper? What about when you see stupidity run rife? We all have doubts and that's okay. You know, doubt is an inevitable part of the Christian experience. This is why Jesus was continually chiding his disciples, O you of little faith. Sometimes I sin, sometimes I doubt. Neither is good in themselves, but they're not surprising or unexpected. A doubtless Christian is it's just as impossible as a sinless Christian because sin, in fact, springs from unbelief. You know, it's not much of a stretch to rephrase 1 John 1 9 this way. If we say we have no doubts, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our doubts, God is faithful and just to forgive us our doubts and purify us from all unbelief not too much of a stretch. See, faith isn't feelings and faith isn't fantasy. We don't believe Jesus in spite of the evidence. We believe because we've been persuaded. Faith doesn't mean screwing up our stomach muscles and deciding to step boldly into the dark. 
Faith is more like opening our eyes to the dazzling light that's already shining. Faith isn't anti-rational or sub-rational. It's a response to compelling truth. And Paul tells us to keep hearing this truth. No matter what doubts you may harbour, keep putting yourself in the way of the good news. Surround yourself with the scriptures and people of the scriptures so you keep soaking in what's true. You know, and faith isn't a thing that we muster up and push out. Faith is, is simply resting on Jesus. In John 1, 12, you know, receiving Jesus and believing in his name are parallel. They aren't two hoops to jump through in order to be saved. They're two descriptions of the same reality. When we focus on the him of Jesus rather than the what of faith, doubts are reduced, revitalised, replaced and even redeemed. It might just be that the path of doubt was God's way of bringing you to a deeper, richer knowledge of Jesus himself. You know, Jesus Christ has been given all authority on heaven and on earth. And if this centurion understands how authority works and trusts in Jesus to heal his servant, how much more can we have confidence in Jesus Christ? And we also have the benefit of the indwelling Holy Spirit. There is a great confidence of hope found in the personal work of Jesus Christ. This passage continues, verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with him. Jewish burial customs are very clear and dictate that a dead person is to be buried within 24 hours of their death, unless for extreme weird circumstances, and burials are normally well attended by the community. In the first century, to be a widow and to lose your only son meant that you were in a dire and desperate economic situation. Your only source of provision as a widow was your family and really were your sons. This woman was looking at a life and future of abject poverty because there was no welfare system, there was no safety net, she couldn't work, she solely relied upon her son to provide for her and now her son was dead. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier that they were carrying him on and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared amongst us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. So here Jesus demonstrates the compassion of hope. 
he has for humanity, a compassion of hope when he says to this widow, don't cry. You know, and, and, and those very words, don't cry, they indicate that he's going to do something. Not as a sign, but as an act of compassion. He goes and touches the beer. What on earth is a beer, you might be asking? It's spelt differently to um, the one you might drink. Um, a, a beer is a, is a plank that serves as an open coffin which they would use to carry the dead body outside to its burial place. And to touch a beer would actually make you ceremonially unclean. But Jesus wasn't concerned about ceremonial uncleanness for he was not made unclean when he touches the dead. Instead, the dead man comes to life. Remember a few weeks ago with a leper, when Jesus touched the leper, he didn't become unclean. Instead, the leper was made clean by the touch of Jesus. You know, here Jesus doesn't become unclean either, but he restores hope and the very life of this man through his touch. Then the man gets up and begins to talk. Proof once again of this great miracle. And we have here the exact same words of 1 Kings 17.23 describing the raising of a widow's son by Elijah. Isn't that amazing? The exact same words are here, the same as Elijah with the raising of the widow's son then and here with another raising of a widow's son. And in recognition of God's powerful presence, the people's fear immediately leads to worship. They glorified God. They correctly described Jesus as a great prophet, but an inadequate description unless you add that he is also Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of Man and Lord. For God indeed had visited his people. God was making his presence known in Jesus bringing salvation to the Jewish people who had waited so long for him. God who was now displaying his great compassion of hope. And God displays that same compassion to you. He steps into the midst of our messy lives and he offers us the same compassion. He offers us Hope. He offers us salvation from a future devoid of hope and a future that is destitute and instead he offers us abundant life in him. You know, it may at times feel like we've lost so much. We may have lost our hopes and dreams. We may have lost our finances. We may have lost someone precious and close to us. We may have lost careers, homes, friends. But through the compassion of Jesus Christ, we have gained everything. Jesus demonstrates to this woman the compassion of hope and he offers that same compassion to each one of us. We then come to the passage that was read in our Bible reading today. 
It's a really interesting interaction between John the Baptist and Jesus, albeit through messengers. And this passage reveals for us the completeness of hope found in Jesus Christ. And so in verses 18 to 20, John sends two guys to ask Jesus if he is the one who is to come, the the prophesied one. John's question indicates his doubt as to whether Jesus was the mightier one who would baptise with the Holy Spirit and fire. See, for some reason, Jesus did not seem to be exactly the kind of Messiah John was expecting. Perhaps it did not appear that Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman rulers and probably also because Jesus was not immediately bringing judgment on evildoers. John's concern was probably aggravated by his own personal circumstances because at this time John was actually in prison. And I find it really interesting that we were only in chapter 7 of Luke and it's only just a few chapters ago that John baptised Jesus and a voice from heaven came and said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased and the Spirit of the Lord in the shape of a dove came upon Jesus all in the very sight of John. And yet here John is going, hold on, yeah, that was all well and good, but are you actually who you're supposed to be? Because there's a few things that I'm expecting you to do that you ain't doing, right? Romans are still ruling. Like, seriously, where, where are you? Like, you're supposed to be on the throne right now. You're supposed to be ruling. You know, you're supposed to kick these guys out and give us our land back. You know, you were supposed to stop evil from occurring. You were supposed to bring judgment. Where's the judgment? All I hear is you healing people and all I hear is you doing miracles and, and teaching, but that's not what I want. I want a conqueror. I want the new king. I want someone who's going to establish his kingdom and his rule on the throne of, sit, sit on the throne of David for now for eternity and I thought that was you. Really? Are you actually the mightier one that was prophesied? And Luke then gives a summary of what was occurring at the very time that these messengers were with Jesus. You see, Jesus does not answer John's question directly. Is he the one that John had been preparing the way for? But what Jesus does is give evidence demonstrating that he is the coming one. And from the report given, John can come to his own conclusion. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. Dead are raised. The poor have good news preached to them. In other words, Jesus is indeed the coming one predicted in the Old Testament. He is the completeness of hope. The day of salvation foretold by Isaiah Those days they have begun, even though they will not be consummated until Christ returns to establish his eternal kingdom. In verse 23, the NIV says, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. I have some some issues with some translations of the NIV. Some people call it the nearly inspired version. The newly incorrect version is another one. And here they got it wrong. All right? Plain and simple, they've got the meaning completely wrong. The ESV translates it a little bit differently. 
Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. It's a very different meaning, isn't it? Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. What, we're going to sin because of Jesus? No, no. It's actually blessed is the one who is not offended by me. See, this comment is directed towards John and his disciples. Do not be offended by me, by what you're seeing, by, what, by this report. Now, why might Jesus have to say, look, don't be offended by what I'm doing? And I don't know about you, but if I've invested my life into something, I'd be pretty protective over it. You know, if someone came along and threatened my life's work, then I might get offended by that person if they weren't doing what I was expecting them to do. Especially if they seem to have been moving into my territory. So Jesus here, I think, is addressing the very human response of how quickly we can be offended by other people and he's saying, hey, no need to worry about me. Don't get offended by me. I am actually the one you've been preparing the way for. I am the completeness of hope, but I might not be doing it as you wanted. And I guess in that sense, it's who is God here, really? And once the messengers leave, Jesus speaks to the crowd, asking them a couple of questions. Did they go out into the desert to simply see something that was flimsy and uncertain? You know, far from an accurate description of John the Baptist, right? Far from an... uh, Really, they went out to see John, who was actually, he was more than a prophet. He was the prophet sent to fulfil Malachi 3.1. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. This is the prophecy that was being fulfilled. And no prophet was greater than John. And Jesus explains to them this exact point. You see, John's greatness amongst all the Old Testament prophets, all those who came before the arrival of the kingdom of God, comes from his function as direct forerunner of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. But John was not part of the kingdom of God that Jesus was proclaiming and bringing to reality for he was still part of the old covenant system. John is technically the last Old Testament prophet. And Jesus says that therefore the one who is least in the kingdom of God, that is someone who has believed in Jesus and has become a member of the new covenant kingdom, is actually greater than John. For those who come after John live in the age of fulfilment following the coming of Jesus. This underscores the qualitative difference between the old age and the dawning of the new kingdom age. We are in this new kingdom age. John was the last prophet of the old age. This kingdom that we are in is a kingdom of complete hope. And everyone who heard this teaching from Jesus acknowledged that God is just. 
Yep, that's correct. They rightly take Jesus' words as commendation of John, not criticism. God was working through John for his purposes in his time. And so those who were baptised by John were glad and they declared God just. This is in contrast to the Pharisees and lawyers who rejected God's purposes for themselves. Jesus continues his teaching by speaking about the leaders and others who rejected both John the Baptist and Jesus and who were still the dominant force in the culture. In their rejection of both John and Jesus, they were like children refusing to play either a sad or a happy game. They refused to choose to follow both of the people whom God has sent to his people. John, who had denied himself and abstained from drink and lived a completely sold out life to his purpose, they rejected him and said he had a demon. Jesus, who didn't abstain, but who ate and drank and accepted the hospitality of tax collectors and the like, they judged to be a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of their enemies and sinners. They rejected both John and Jesus. And if you think about two ends of the spectrum, you've got John who basically was, you know, so sold out and was so pious and basically like a, a monk. And then you've got Jesus who they reckon was, was a drunk. You know, you've got the two ends of the spectrum and they rejected them both. You know what they say about sitting on the fence? Watch out for splinters. These Pharisees and lawyers were presented with two options, both of whom they could have easily justified as correct, either under the new age or under the old age. Yet they rejected both John and Jesus. Yet wisdom, God's way, is justified. It is shown to be right by all her children, by all the followers of John and Jesus. It is the completeness of hope. Jesus is the mighty one to come. He is the completeness of hope. He is the one prophesied about. He is the one John came to prepare the way for. And he's the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. Jesus is the completeness of hope. And today we have seen from Luke chapter 7 that that in Jesus we have the confidence of hope. In Jesus we find the compassion of hope. And Jesus is the very embodiment of the completeness of hope. But what does that mean for you? If we understand the authority of Christ, if we deeply feel the love of Christ, and if we know the truth of the absolute completeness in Christ, then we can walk with bold confidence into everything that God has prepared in advance for us to do. We are sent into this community to bring glory to God and the hope of the gospel as we make disciples. One way to be involved is with your three friends. Pray for them daily. Invite them along to events that we have coming up. Another way would be to commit to growing more deeply in your faith. Your next week is Discipleship Sunday and that's one pathway to help us grow in our faith. You can sign up to be involved in, in, in a discipleship relationship. Meet up every couple of weeks to check in and, and do life together. Pray together, read the scriptures together, encourage each other, disciple each other, grow together. 
or maybe even join one of the small groups. See, if we understand the authority of Christ, if we deeply feel the love of Christ, and if we know the truth of the absolute completeness in Christ, then we can walk with a bold confidence into everything that God has prepared in advance for us to do. What is he calling you to step out in faith and accomplish for his glory and for the hope of the gospel? That's a big challenge, isn't it? To actually step out, to do stuff for Jesus. Now, maybe one thing that we can really do is actually just share peace right now. The, the current situation that we are in is an opportunity for us to bring peace, an opportunity for us to bring hope. I'm not sure if you've been to a supermarket recently. I ducked off to Audi yesterday afternoon just to pick up a few things. Luckily, I only had to pick up a few things because there were only a few things on the shelf and not everything I wanted was on that shelf. Let's have a calm confidence and assurance in Jesus Christ in the midst of everything that is thrown at us. And this is one example where we can actually lead our world to a better reality because of the confidence and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So there's one thing you can do this week. Bring peace to those around you. Care for people. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word which guides us. And I thank you particularly for your word today that we can indeed know and have confidence in the authority of Jesus Christ. We can look to the example of compassion that Jesus Christ has shown to us and we can rest that he offers that same compassion to us. And Lord, we have the completeness of hope in Jesus Christ. There is nothing lacking in the person and work of Jesus Christ, we can indeed have full confidence in you. And Lord, if we understand indeed the authority of Christ, if we deeply feel the love of Christ and if we know the truth of the absolute completeness in Christ, then Lord, I pray you would help us walk with bold confidence into everything that you have prepared in advance for us to do. And that right now in the midst of these circumstances, Lord, we can be bringers of your peace. Lord, we can be bringers of your truth. And indeed, Lord, we can spread a hope that does not exist right now. That we can bring sensibility to where there is none. We can bring compassion to where it is missing. And Lord, may you help us, help others cast their anxieties and their fears upon you and instead rest in the peace that passes all understanding that, we, that, that is found in you, Jesus Christ. So may you be with us this week as you go out into our world. Lord, may you protect us and Lord, may you, you calm us and may we walk with the confidence, the compassion and the completeness of hope that is in Jesus Christ. I pray this in the name of that same Jesus, our Saviour. Amen.